Hey LA, Lance Bass here with the latest in the City of Angels. Immerse yourself in our vibrant fashion scene where exclusive streetwear meets high-end boutiques. Stroll through styles defining our bold, wildly creative city, like the unique finds at Melrose Trading Post, a real LA gem. Explore star-studded experiences on Hollywood Boulevard, behind-the-scenes studio tours, and moments of awe under our legendary blue sky. Picture this. The iconic Griffith Observatory, inspiring directors worldwide. Plan your weekend at discoverla.com. It's the time to leave your mark in the city of angels. Lance Bass is adding off. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Frosted Tips with Lance Bass, an iHeartRadio podcast. Hello, my little peanuts. It's me, your host, Lance Bass. This is Frosted Tips with me, Lance Bass, and my co-host, my lovely husband, Turkey Turkchen. <laughs> well, hello there, Turkichin. my love. Turkchen. I like that. <laughs> yeah, it's a new, uh, a new name. It's exciting. We have Darren Hayes on today. I know. Um, love me some Savage Garden. I was a huge fan of yeah. Savage Garden. I remember when we first started out, you know, with the group. Uh, it was like '96 when we went over to Germany. They were just coming out, also, mm-hmm. and so we would kind of run into them a good bit um, and just love them. So it's such a a, a great group. Oh, you'll have a nice catch up. Yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah, I don't think I've probably not seen him in 20 years. Well, yeah. So we have a lot to catch up on. A lot. And speaking of uh, catching up on, we have to catch up on my New York trip. I know. Guys, all right. So thank God we can finally talk about it. Um, as you know, by now, we have a new song coming out on the 29th called Better Place. Uh, it is for a movie that we cannot discuss, but I think all of you know, uh, because we are uh, still in a strike right now. And I think the strike's going to go for a very, very long time. So yeah. the sad news is we probably won't ever be able to promote this movie. Um, but the NSYNC fans are so freaking awesome that I don't even think, <laughs> I don't think we need to promote it because you guys have just been so excited about this and uh, and made it definitely go viral. So I think we have the best fans in the world. 
I mean, I have to agree. Um, well, I think you should talk a little about the VMAs. Uh-huh. Well, okay, so yeah. So we just went and presented uh, in the hopes that Taylor Swift would win. Because I knew that, I mean, it, I felt like she was going to sweep the whole thing. <laughs> so I came prepared. I'm like, okay, if she wins, I have these bracelets. I have, I have to give her friendship bracelets. I know. It's like the thing to do. And it's the ultimate Swifty move to give her an actual <laughs> friendship bracelet. So you guys are like officially BFFs. Uh, yeah, yeah, it, we're pretty much BFFs. Wow. Um, no, it was, it was a really fun <clears throat> night. Uh, I mean, I didn't know what to expect, but I definitely did not expect the aftermath of that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's really not much I can like say. because I, I know, so and many. you, and didn't you just leave right after you? Yeah, I mean, it would, this is definitely a different VMAs because, uh, you know, usually you're there for the whole show. It's it's different now. I feel like back in my day, you know, you went, even if you weren't nominated, you went. You know, the whole industry came. It was, yeah, it was like, it was the, like the place to be seen. Now it's kind of like the only people that go are the ones that are probably going to win something. And so it, it just feels a little more contrived. Um, I do like how performance heavy it's gotten. Yeah, that's good. So, yeah, but... Unfortunately, we yeah we stayed for thirty minutes. <laughs> we were the first ones there, uh, but yeah no, I mean it was it was awesome. It was great, you know, to be on that stage with those guys. Uh, you know, we even did you know photo shoot the next day. Um, so yeah, so thanks guys for like yeah supporting us so much during all of this. Um, you know, at least we are going to have new music very soon, uh, and then uh, yeah, we'll see where it goes from there. You know, Who lots knows? of talk. No solid plans just yet because we know we're just going to have to pivot a lot. But, uh, but yeah, things are looking really nice. I I'm love excited it. excited for the future. Me too. <laughs> All right. Well, you know what I'm excited for? Our guest. Our Darren, guest. Darren Hayes. Yes, yes. We have uh, a lot to catch up on. Um, so when we come back, we're going to have the one and only frontman of Savage Garden, Darren Hayes. Lance Bass here with the latest in the City of Angels. From epic shopping to nonstop pride events, discoverla.com is your gateway to everything L.A. From walk-up windows and rooftop bars to year-round alfresco dining, Los Angeles is a culinary thrill ride sure to leave visitors hungry for more. From tacos to sushi, we truly have some of the best restaurants. After you get a bite to eat, get a taste for fame firsthand by attending a star ceremony on Hollywood Boulevard or glyphs behind the scenes at World Famous Studio Tour. Stop and see a movie at the iconic El Capitan Theater and check out the stairs outside the Dolby Theater where all the stars walk before the Oscars. Take a hike at Glamorous Griffith or stop for a boba or a draft cold brew at an outdoor cafe perfect for people watching. There are endless amounts of outdoor activities in L.A. with our beautiful weather. And, of course, Pride is celebrated every day in Los Angeles. Everyone is welcome to experience our sparkling nightlife, indulgent spas, and sensational shopping. Plan your weekend at discoverla.com. It's time to leave your mark in the City of Angels. Lance Bass, signing off. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. 
Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name is Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Darren Stanley Hayes is an Australian singer, songwriter, music producer, and composer. He was the frontman and singer of the pop duo Savage Garden. Their 97 album, Savage Garden, peaked at number one in Australia, number two in the UK, number three in the United States, one, two, three. Uh, it spawned the singles, I Want You, To the Moon and Back, and an Australian and U.S. number one, Truly, Madly, Deeply, Savage Garden parted ways in 2001. Hayes released his first solo album, Spin, in 2002, which sold 2 million copies worldwide, debuted at number two in the UK, number three in Australia, and after a decade-long hiatus, Hayes returned in 2022 with his fifth studio album, Homosexual, which I cannot wait to talk about, uh, which was released in October. Uh, Darren, welcome to the show. Yes. Nice. It's nice to finally do it. I know I was... Um... I was ill, actually, the first time you invited me. So thanks for being yeah. so kind about that. Of course. But I'm here. We will always hold a spot for you, Darren. Always. always. Uh, we were just talking before we started the show. It's been since the 90s, I think, we've actually seen each other face-to-face. -face. Uh, mm -hmm. I believe that was Top of the Pops. <laughs> back yeah, in, the in England. Yeah, which yeah. I don't even think there is a Top of the Pops anymore. Did that finally nope. go away? Yeah. For people that don't understand Top of the Pops, it was yeah. the biggest music show in England from the 50s. Uh, till it ended just a few years ago. Uh, and you and the way it ended was really sad, too. What happened? I don't even know. Yeah, how, how did it end? Well, it went from, like, um, biggest show in the world, uh, well, in Europe, and, you know, when the music industry obviously was really successful and there was lots of money and there was lots of budgets for music videos and things, mm -hmm. to the music industry just crashing because of no one knew what to do about, I think it was um, Napster, Napster or whatever. Oh, yeah. And I just remember it went from one day to having like all these SUVs and budgets for styling and clothing and like 
let's turn this set into like a space planet. So the next week it was like, yeah, your band has to get the tube, which for Americans is the train. Mm. Your band has to get the tube there. And we have no budget for styling. Oh and you know, like it was just, it just disintegrated. I will never forget because it was the first time that we had to lip sync because on that show, back in my day, they would, you were forced to lip sync it. There was no live anything. And I remember we were so, because as a boy band, of course, everyone's like, they lip sync. Uh, and we were so dead set against it. Like, we cannot do this. We can't do this. We're like, well, it's top of the pops. You kind of have to do this. Uh, that must so, have been really offensive to you guys. Yeah, I mean, it was it it sucked, but we kind of we understood. We're like, okay, well, it's Europe, I guess. This yeah, is what they do over here. Things. Yeah, and then this the couple of times that we did it because you know we started in Germany, and the first couple of television shows that they're like, well, everyone lip syncs. We're like, well, no, we're not doing that. And then they would allow us to sing live. Now we understand why everyone lip syncs because no one knows how to do live vocals on any of those no. TV shows. <laughs> exactly. And on that show in particular, mm. what happened was then sort of grunge and 90s. And I blame Natalie and Bruglia, actually. Uh, it's always Natalie's It's fault. always her fault. Yes. Her yeah. fault. Her record came out and everything in England was like um, Oasis or Natalie and Bruglia. Every, mm. Everyone was wearing just camo outfits and everything was like not pop, right? Yeah. And suddenly Top of the Pops was like, you have to sing live. Mm -hmm. And so people who weren't talented were dying. Yeah. So lots of careers were, they went up in flames for, for the two weeks when Top of the Pops went, let's sing live. <laughs> <laughs> that was the whole thing. I love it. What I did love about that show is you didn't even know what the charts were until you watched the show. Like that was, you didn't get yeah. a little preview of like, oh, Billboard came out yesterday, you're number two. No, yeah. you watched the show to see what number you were. True. Mm -hmm. It was like back in the TRL days as yeah. well. Well, so, TRL, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's you similar. know, it wasn't the exact charts, but right. it was the charts for the well, teens, it, basically. It, it was a. It meant more it to meant artists more. if you were number one on TRL more okay. than Billboard. Can we spill the tea a little bit on the fact that I think it's pretty obvious now that we're both gay? Am I, <laughs> I are okay, we? Wow. Wait, do, are we doing some breaking right? news right now? Are you gay, Lynn? <laughs> this is news to me. So, it took me a long time to work that out. Oh, like yeah. it really did take me. And I've I've seen and read a lot of your interviews and they've always I, I identify a lot with your journey and everything, especially with the way the band related to you. Mm -hmm. Um I had similar issues um just in, internally with the record label as well. I had this added layer of shame where I absolutely hated myself and yeah. wasn't even sure if I was gay. So yeah. I went around telling everybody, I'm bisexual. Yeah. That's what yeah. I think. Uh -huh. um, but I remember being backstage at Top of the Pops and I had no idea that we had that in common. Right. And you were being really cool. And I think you asked if like, I wanted to hang out. And I, first of all, I'm terrible with famous people, mm -hmm. right? So you were instantly so much more famous than me. Anyone I meet is always more famous than me, right? So you were just like, hey, we're going to go to a club because, you know, you're the, the lowest voice in the group. That's right. <laughs> we're going to go to the club tonight. That sounds crazy. <laughs> 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 I was just like, no, thanks. I don't know what my, <laughs> I don't know what my deal was. Yeah, and then I stole your girl, uh, Anna Maria. Who, uh, you hung out with Anna Maria Lespina. <laughs> that was my girl. I mean, I loved meeting you guys. And then she would, you know, she would definitely go to the bars with us afterwards. Yeah, we, you kept saying that to me earlier. Touched. Yeah. How yeah. is she doing? I haven't, she, I haven't talked to her in a while. You know what? She's great. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about um, um, a backing vocalist who used to work with me, Anna Maria Lespina, who really sounded like Celine Dion. Oh, yeah. She's incredible. <laughs> She's testament to the fact that sometimes in our business, it does not matter how talented you are. Sometimes it's oh. just chance. 
Yeah. Right. 100%. Well, we see that with, with uh, the, voice. the voice. You know, it's, you know, the voice has the most talented singers, song mm-hmm. or singer songwriters in the world yeah. that have had record deals before that are writing top songs that are producing yeah. the best and none of them can pop. It, it is, it's insane how, how many talented people are yeah. out there. Um, I think you just need a God shaped hole of insecurity inside you. And <laughs> have it. Yeah. I just needed the applause. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. 100%. I need it. Oh my God! Well, going back to uh, you know when you started um, and, and and holding that secret because you know we do relate on that. Right. Uh, do you feel that it, it it stifled your creativity and your music at all? This is going to sound like a, a sort of a, a a very convoluted answer. I'll try to make it short. It wasn't really a secret for me. Yeah. Um, I really did struggle with my sexuality. I was married to a woman, mm-hmm. so. That was a secret I was trying to hide. Oh. I was, man, I was trying to protect my private life from fame. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to have these two personas. I wanted to have a career, very long career that was um, as famous as, as Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. And yet I foolishly thought I could also have this private life yeah. and um, probably should have known. I asked you know, my wife to marry me, um, that because we bonded over hair color and <laughs> just reference purse was aubergine. Yeah. Fabulous. Um, Should've known. that we were, we were will and grace before the TV show existed. Yeah. You know, we were best, best friends. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think she kept me innocent and she kept me in this kind of place where I wasn't ready to accept who I was. Mm-hmm. And you know, one day I'll talk about, it. I'm writing a book now, um, yeah. next year, I get to talk about this. So I grew up in a, in a culture where there was just so much internalized shame. It wasn't even possible for me to even think that right. I didn't think I knew any gay people didn't even think Lance was gay. Right. Yep. You know, my yeah. worldview was so tiny so that when I was traveling the world and we meet other artists, we realize that just like race, just like gender, sexuality is such a spectrum. Mm-hmm. And there, I struggled finding that little place for me that when I eventually did come out, I told everyone. I told the president of the label, who was a very scary man. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he had virtually destroyed George Michael's career for coming out. Really? Wow. And you know, what happened to me was all of a sudden everyone started kissing my cheek and everyone started telling me, like treating me like I was a woman mm-hmm. and started this process that I think is a sort of a version of misogyny that happens to to gay men yeah, in our yeah. business. We become these harmless, yes. non-sexual, non-threatening. This is the only way we know how to market you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was as though... Uh, that was sort of the beginning of the end of my career. Yeah. It was the it was the second Savage Garden record affirmation. It didn't matter that the band was splitting up. I had come out, and everyone at the label was dealing with this internal fallout, which was Ricky Martin. Mm-hmm. And listen, some of the conversations and the things that I heard about Ricky Martin about the people that supposedly loved him would would horrify you. Yep. I'm a photo that it was it was horrific, mm-hmm. and so I was watching that stuff. Just thinking, if this is how you speak about someone when they're not in the room and you're letting me hear this, what are you going to do to my solo career? What, what are you going to do? Well, I, f- I found out. 
Yeah. They buried me. Yeah. 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 You know, so that was the struggle for me. It wasn't, you know, I was ready. Like I started using the word him and he in my songs. My first single, Insatiable, I want to taste every drop. I mean, come on. Yeah. I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> Wait, no, let's unpack Wait, what? this again. What? Orange I'm like saying, um, turn the lights down low, take it off, let me show my love for you, insatiable. And I can't remember the rest of my lyrics because I'm a 51-year-old gay man, but essentially. <laughs> Neither can land. Yeah. So don't worry. Oral act. Yeah. Uh, it's weird because we I never really get to talk about that side of the career because, yes, when, you know, everyone – assumed I was straight when I was a teenager and in this group and then, you know, a big band in the world. So I did get to hear what everyone said about gay people without them knowing that I'm gay. So, and that definitely keeps you more in the closet because you're like, crap, like, I mean, they, they hate, they will hate me. They will absolutely hate me if I ever tell them that I'm gay. So you just, you dig back deeper and deeper every time that you hear the joke or, and especially the, the, the music industry is still so homophobic. Uh, I mean, I know film industry, you know, has gotten better and all that, but something about the record industry yeah. is just so archaic uh, with their thoughts on sexuality. Because I'm so sort of outside of the box in that in that regard. Like, honestly, the commercial success that I was lucky enough to participate in, it's a blessing to me. Like, I, you know, when I first started off. Um, you know, yes, I did want to be famous and I, I, I was trying to fix something in me that was mm -hmm. deeply efficient, you know, and yeah. like every, you know, like if you talk to Madonna, you know, Madonna was missing a mother and so she needed the whole world to mother her, right? Mm -hmm. My thing was a, a father issue, you know, but as soon as I received the attention, I got over that very quickly mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm grateful for that. And I knew that I, it wasn't going to last, the fame wasn't going to last, but me being a singer, me being an artist, that was the thing that I really wanted to hold on to and retain. So I'm grateful that I'm not cynical. Um, I've never been someone that's like, I could have been a contender, you know, like <laughs> yeah. I've, I've always just continued on. I make my strange, weird records. Some of them work, some of them don't, but the whole gay experience, I can't lie and say that that wasn't, like an X against me because our generation, yeah, um, we couldn't just arrive right. and be. I'm mean, look even Lil Nas X. When I think about Lil Nas X, I mean, if yeah. you look at his, and if you look at how difficult that is to be an African American and be mm -hmm. queer, I, I went and saw Beyonce recently, and that a lot of people don't realize how inspired she was by her uncle who was gay, and yeah. how that is to bring like club culture and queer culture to that audience it's it moves me like yeah. it really really moves me because i know how brave that is and how hard it is in so many other cultures that aren't just you know i have so much privilege being a straight white guy i can pass anywhere i want i can yeah. turn my sexuality on or off right. and so many other cultures you just can't do that mm -hmm. so world's smallest violin for me but still it, yeah. it's hard yeah and yeah. it's hard but that, but that experience, I mean, it was on a much larger scale. It's kind of it's the same experience most gay people go through just mm -hmm. in their own life. You know, it's the same it's the same thing. Yours, you, both of you, were just on a much massive right. more scale in and a I business also, that literally 
penalized you for doing exactly. that. Exactly. And for me, you know, I always felt like I was lucky that I started my career so early and found fame as a teenager because then, and, and as soon as I was, you know, finishing up puberty and everyone started to date people, that's when I got an sync. And because of that, I was able to hide it a lot longer because I had so many great excuses of not to date a girl or to, you know, you could just kind of make stuff up like, oh yeah, last night in London, I totally met a girl and we took her back to the hotel and yeah, you know, it's no one would know. And, and there was no cell phones or anything like that. So yeah. you could easily create the narrative that you wanted to easily. I couldn't imagine growing up um, being a young person with fame today and the scrutiny of yeah of every moment, you know, and I, you know, there was a lot of the, I really cherish the fact that I got to come out really in between albums. I, I lived in San Francisco mm -hmm. and uh, I laugh about this. I spent so many years like looking across the foggy bay, like going, is he out there somewhere? <laughs> I'd go out to bars and I'm, I'm still and but like, I'm such a romantic, you know, yeah. and I'm just, my poor mother came to visit me once from Australia and um, this one night, I got a number. And I made the mistake of telling my mother I got a phone number. I was like, Ma, I got a phone number, Ma. And she was like, oh, did he call? I was like, 3 a.m., Ma. No, no. Then every day for the next two weeks, she'd, she'd go, did he call? And I'd go, no. Oh, Ma. And by the end of like two weeks, I got ghosted. We didn't know what that was back then. But, yeah. you know, I was you know what, Ma? He didn't call. <laughs> Every day that you ask me if he calls, I feel terrible inside because he's never going to call. They're never going to call, Ma, because I'm a hideous monster. Okay? It's like it's, it's like he's a ghost. Yeah. I've created this thing new called ghosting. Ghosting. Yeah. Oh, Darren wow. Hayes invented the word ghosted, y'all. Wow. Yeah. You heard it here first. Him up, love. Did you make him up? <laughs> Was your whole family, uh, did they accept you immediately when you came out, like your friends and family? Hmm. Mm. Yeah. But, I mean, look, my mother, from the second I was born, accepted me. I yeah. was the youngest of three kids, and I was unique. I was, you know, she made me a Wonder Woman costume. She called it a Wonder Man costume because yeah. it was this. But she used, I don't know what we, we call them in the US, but she used this um, fabric paint yeah. to paint stars on my blue shorts instead of a skirt. Mm -hmm. She made a, a, a tank top like this, actually, and it had uh, a yellow um, falcon on it. And we'd use toilet roll and spray paint it yeah. gold. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm very, very, like, just very gentle. And yet when I came out, she was like, I had no idea. I'm like, I was blow drying your frosted hair. She had lady going, like I was blow drying your hair. For weddings. Your outfits. I was in the dressing rooms with you, you know, at Macy's just being like, mm, maybe the lavender. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I know. <laughs> that was me. You know, moms, I mean, I asked my mom, too, I'm like, did you have any clue? Because, I mean, I look back and I see them like, well, I mean, come on. I, I wanted my little pony at, you know, six years old, that kind of stuff. And my mom's like, well, yeah, looking back, I now see things, but like, I just, I never, it just never dawned on me in the moment that you could have been gay. Uh, but it's so funny how they'll just completely just not see that part of you. Some of us are really lucky to have, and I only mean some of us, because I, so, so many more of my friends had really difficult relationships um, with their parents. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But those, 
mother son relationships i think are so wonderful you know where you're mm-hmm. th- there's this connection like a, i call it like an invisible uh tether that i have to my mother i always did and i think it's because subconsciously and this book's on this is an amazing book called um the velvet rage it's mm-hmm. like a, a i just heard about that oh yeah oh no a... that's todrick hall's new tour is called velvet rage okay yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> stealing that uh no the velvet rage is a yeah, very yeah, famous yeah. book yeah it's a really important text that gay men should read because it is about this thing that happened to a certain generation where we were we were othered even by our parents our parents knew there was something wrong with us and they overcompensated right, so right. some they had a fixture protected us yeah and some um didn't know consciously but they knew there's something different about this one and they start to um sever a tie between us and that anxiety that some of us felt between our fathers was really a child knowing their father is leaving us Mm. and wanting to hold on and just it's a very very complicated thing because you know, we are different. We were different and our parents didn't relate to that. Yeah. Not Um, only did we feel different, but we also weren't given permission to be ourselves, you know, until someone, you know, basically gives you permission to be, you know, like, Oh, you can be gay. Oh, I can be gay. Oh crap. I didn't, I didn't know that. And you're just suppressing everything your whole entire life until you realize that, Oh wait, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. And you, and you'll let me do that. Yeah. That's great. I, I feel like we can't really answer that question, Lance, because we were famous. I think being famous lets you, by that point, you know, I was absolutely providing for my family. I was, as you might relate, you know, I was someone that was seen as a golden child, not in any accusatory way to my family. I adore my family. And I think if you're famous and you don't buy a house for your family, if you can afford to do that, you're probably a crappy person because yeah. you being famous and getting a lot of money is a bit like winning the lottery mm-hmm. and it's a moral. So yes, I did those things. So how could the people that love me then look at me and think of me as a bad person? Cause I was also being a really generous person and a kind person yeah. in a bubble. Were I just a preschool teacher? Like I was supposed to be, would they have been as accepting? I don't know. Mm-hmm. My core. Yes. Mm-hmm. But the rest of my community, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. It's interesting. And yeah, like you said, we'll, we'll never know. Well, I can't wait to read that book though. Cause I, I just love the psychology behind any of that. So yeah. I think it's going to obviously relate to and, to I've also, and along those lines, I've always said, uh, cause you know, Lance is from Mississippi, which, you know, it's great. It's a, you know, a, a, you know, there's a lot of good things about Mississippi, but there's a lot of bad things. Um, yes. and we've always been treated amazingly whenever we go back, but I always have said like, People care more that you're famous yeah. than that you're gay. So they overlook the gay stuff because they're so like, true. oh, my God, a celebrity. Mm-hmm. So they can push the, all that aside. If you were just mm-hmm. the postman coming by with a rainbow flag, they may not be so kind to you right. if you've seen them. That's true. Yeah. You never it is true. That's just a privilege. I think it's always important to check that. You know, I mm-hmm. think, like I said before, just passing. You know, I, I can choose whether I come out or not every single day. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I'm not someone that gets recognized in the street, so I don't really have the celebrity thing. But I definitely have the ability to. And if you think about it, it's like every time you buy a bunch of flowers, people will make an assumption. Mm-hmm. Someone might you. Mm-hmm. I've had people say, who's the lucky girl? Mm-hmm. 
oh yeah, all the time. Or when I get a haircut, if I go to a new place and they see a ring on my finger, they're mm-hmm. like, oh, like who's how long, like, how long you married, married to your wife? And it's always you have to come out over and over and yeah. over again. Yeah. Always making that decision. Who who do you reveal this? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I just go along with it and pretend I'm married to a wife because I don't feel comfortable with the person that I'm with. I don't know. I can mm-hmm. sense they might not be so kind, and I don't want to have to go through that. So I just go along with it, and it's yeah. something we still do, even when we're comfortable. Yeah. yeah, there are certain places in the world, and and I think um, I try to have compassion for that because um, it's a little bit like my my analogy when I first moved to New York. I tell people this, like, oh my god, it's so embarrassing. I went from Brisbane, Australia, <laughs> um, to New York, and uh, I just decided that New Yorkers weren't very friendly. So I would take offense to that. So I'd go into a bodega or something and I'd pay. And then there'd be nothing said. And I'd go, you're welcome. (laughs) 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 For about months. And then my friend, Myrna Suarez, she'll love this name check. (laughs) Uh, He was just like, you know, you can't change the city. Yeah. Like you're going to exhaust yourself. And you're just making yourself miserable. And it's one of those things, you know, where sometimes you have to just look at your environment. And I might get some criticism for saying this, but, you know, I have compassion. I think if someone's not, if their unacceptance of me comes from a place that's conservative or religious or from a place that it doesn't come from hatred. Mm-hmm. It doesn't come from bigotry. It comes from, say, what I would call the gentle ignorance, mm-hmm. which is a lack of exposure. Right. I have compassion. You don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And I'm not one of those people that are just want to walk walk in and just like burst a balloon with rainbow colors and be like, um, mm-hmm. yeah, me, you know, like <laughs> I'm just, I don't need that confrontation i would rather just be someone who is in their life that they happen to be like are you gay yeah and that blows their mind yeah yeah events that then makes them have to rethink all of their um you know yeah yeah that's i always call it also gay you know like i'm I'm, I'm also gay you know it's just like that's not what i lead with but it's like yes but i'm also gay yeah it's one part of also blonde and i'm also a white guy and i'm also a musician it's just just one of my alsos now mm-hmm. yeah uh but it's, we have talking about it as well like yeah. it's a, important to us yeah we're on this podcast talking about being gay yeah, <laughs> yeah. and i love that especially when i came out my friends uh and even like the instinct guys and everyone you know they i think they overcompensate a little bit of wanting to accept you and make you try to feel comfortable so then but then they go into the stereotypical things oh, <laughs> yeah they're still always joking with you on the most stereotypical gay things even i'm like well no i don't like that and no that's oh, yeah. not how i am but sure let's make a joke about it i know let's like go. oh we're eating hot dogs for lunch hey lamb yeah, yeah, hot dog. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we support you it's like okay calm down <laughs> i'm allowed to say this because my mom cracks up but when i first came out my mom would just be she'd be like reading a magazine she'd go Elton John's a genius, isn't he? (laughs) (laughs) Me, he's good, isn't he? Music's good music. To normalize and find gay people in culture, to let that she was okay with it, which was to me. But it was like I can be the only gay. No, yeah. 
I'm only gay in your life, mom. Uh, all right. So we've been doing a deep dive with our guests starting from the very beginning. Now, you were born in, were you born in Brisbane? Yeah. Okay. So you're born in Brisbane. Um, what was, what was it like being born there? What was school like for you? Did you always know that you wanted to go into music even at an early age? Yes. So um, being born there, I lovingly say this, I really thought it was just a, an accident of God. I thought, I mean, look, you probably can't tell. I'm so pale and <laughs> the nation of uh, surfers and, yeah. you know, was an indigenous um, land mass that was stolen. I will acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. Nation um, is sort of like an African terrain because it is beautifully indigenous and it's very rough, it, like a climate to live in. And I was this delicate sort of Irish blonde sort of blue eyed dandelion that hated the sun still does um and i would just be like god why did you curse me with this weather number one and um i used to think that the world was like a little movie about me and that i i don't know i just always thought that i would be famous but maybe it's a trauma response because we can laugh about this don't worry i'm cool about it but yeah. i had a very traumatic childhood yeah. it's extremely violent really? um so growing up in the shining but it activated my imagination. So from a very, very young age, I really did believe in Star Wars mythology. I believed that there was a, uh, an adventure for me somewhere else. So by the time that music came, you know, listening to Madonna, uh, listening to Michael Jackson, it, the moment that I decided to become a pop star was in 1987. He came to my hometown. He was supposed to perform at uh, a stadium but my country it was the only country uh, in the entire world tour where he was at the most famous star in the whole world um he couldn't really sell tickets because this rumor went out that he was going to perform behind a bubble because he was afraid of the germs <laughs> and <laughs> believed it so we're like oh strange that michael jackson and uh, like oh, look what he's done to his nose and he's yeah. a bit feminine but to me he was like, oh, he's androgynous and he's strange. And I was being bullied at school and whatever. So I went to that the bad tour with this field ticket. It got exchanged for a front row seat in an, in an arena. Wow. So Michael front row. Oof. And I just watched him as a student. And I just remember, and I still get this feeling. And I, every, every time before I go to get on stage, that feeling that he made everyone feel this this electricity in the air that you could feel the atoms moving mm -hmm. and i thought i want to do that one day yeah. and i knew from a very young age i thought everyone wanted to do it yeah. and um i got talked out of it from every possible angle every possible teacher mentor there's one music teacher and one boss at a record store that i worked in that was encouraging to me but most people said You'll never make it. Um, but I knew that I would and did. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. It's, I love that our generation had so many great examples uh, to encourage us to go. Because Michael did that for me. Madonna did that for me. Janet Jackson did that for me. Even Garth Brooks and Reba McIntyre. Like watching their shows in the 80s and 90s is what made me want to do that. I want to be on that stage. And I feel like this generation doesn't have quite as many to inspire them. I mean, you, of course you have Beyonce, of course you have Taylor Swift, 
But there's, you know, there's very few of those that are just doing those insane performances where it just inspires that kid in the front row to be like, oh my gosh, what is this? I need to do this. There's a feeling in the air and it's, um, to me, I still get it for most, most decent performers where part of it is just the sheer volume of the PA system. Part of it is the, the group experience of the mm -hmm. expectation right. of what's about, but it's a feeling like I want to cry. Yeah. with joy and um i think I, I just feel so lucky that i get to do that for a living that i get to because life is hard it's yeah. it's it, you know and we get to spend you know 90 minutes um taking people away and just changing their lives for a moment and i i, I guess i just remembered what that meant to me as a child my mm. life was so so hard yeah in those moments I was transported and I still strive for that. That's kind of what I strive for. Um, when I write a song, yeah. when I'm singing, whatever, I look for someone in the audience who, who needs that attention, mm -hmm. not the person who's thirsty. Yeah. Yeah. I look for the person who is a little bit, um, broken like I was and I'll always find them. Mm -hmm. And I just know that, that was so Australian. No, you. <laughs> no. We love a good no. We do. <laughs> no. I know that um, I've done my job if um, maybe I've made a connection. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, when life does get hard, because, you know, you've talked about your mental health and uh, and how suppressing yourself, it, it you know, it, it takes a chunk out of your mental health bigly. But when life is getting hard and it feels harder for you, what do you do personally to kind of get over that and get out of your head? Everything. So I talk yeah. very openly about mental yeah. health. I, yeah. I mean, I'm at the moment, I'm um, very um, specifically and consciously working on my childhood trauma because writing the, this book at first, it was not fun yeah. because I would talk about these experiences that mm -hmm. happened to me as a child with violence. And I didn't, really have anywhere to go you know some of my friends are actors and uh you know they've had training with maybe recall memory or summoning an experience up and then they can neatly put that down but you know we're like as singers we just inhabit a moment we feel it in our body and then we move on when whereas it for me i've had 25 years of being openly someone that has major depressive disorder and um I think now the official diagnosis for me is just that I have complex post-traumatic stress disorder, which was repeated exposure um, to violence and witnessing violence when I was a child. Mm -hmm. And this particular treatment I'm doing at the moment is called EMDR, yeah. where based on rapid eye movement. And um, I just wanted to sort it out because I want to be a father one day. I, 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 you know, I, I want to um be free of uh some of the triggers that will sneak up on me in my life yeah. i i could be look i can be in a department store with someone i love and they might go off to another part of the store like any normal person would but my reaction is i feel panic inside mm -hmm. as a part of me remembers being lost as a child or yeah. being abandoned abandoned yeah 
Yeah. Oh my God. Um, how much of this is going to be in your memoir? And, All um, of it. and it, I'm sure that Great. it's cathartic at this point after writing about that. Yeah. And again, like with songs and music, like I had no interest in writing us like a celebrity memoir. I mean, yeah, I was in a pop band and it broke up and that was a bit juicy, but I was grateful that I was offered a, uh, a publishing deal from Penguin because I wrote an article um, for the independent newspaper in the UK about this, about my depression. And I had a couple of publishers just say, we want to read that book. So that's important to me. It's important to me that um, people know that, uh, well, first of all, that's, that's, that suicide is just never an option. Mm-hmm. You know, like I talk to my, my audience all the time that we have this pact, which is that we just choose to stay. Mm-hmm. I have a lyric on my most recent record. Um, there's a song called Poison Blood, where I talk about the fact, um, and this is a trigger warning if anyone's listening that um, has dealt with depression or suicide. I'm going to talk about this in my family, but, um, you know, I've had more than a few people in my actual, uh, you know, immediate family who who have committed suicide. And I just, I've seen the after effects of that and the aftermath of that. And um, I just decided that would never be me. I never wanted that to not because there's anything special or strong about me, but just because I would speak about it. Yeah. And there's so much stigma around mental health. And that's really the main thing I wanted to express in my book mm-hmm. was um, I actually thrive with my mental illness. I thrive being gay mm-hmm. and I thrive having mental illness because I, I express it. Yeah. I talk about it. I, I seek help mm-hmm. uh, and, and yeah. I verbalize it. And it's so nice that you're able to recognize that because I think majority of us don't. Um, they don't even know what to look for or that I'm even having a problem. Uh, you know, I've dealt with depression, uh, but it took me years to figure out what that was. I'm like, oh, that's what everyone talks about. And that's what I've been feeling for years. Man, I'm depressed, I guess. But it's it's funny how you just talk yourself out of getting help or, you know, self-diagnose yourself or, you know, I don't know, I'm being too dramatic. You, there's all these things that you put through your brain that you know, stop you from actually getting the help. And yet you wouldn't do that if say your A1C1 was out of balance. Or... Right. Yeah. Well, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is really no different to that. Yeah, when you fact... can like physically see things and your blood work and all that, like you can't. Well, yeah. And yeah. there's also a big thing with just the current culture. There's like this, especially this misogynistic kind of, you know, purveying culture that if you care about your mental health somehow you're a weaker person mm-hmm. when, whereas it's just another part of your body like everything else like you said like your a1c like your cholesterol if you have an unwell mind if you're depressed well you know what that's kind of well, controlling you, your entire it makes identity you a stronger person it makes you a much stronger, stronger well, friend stronger family member more strong. empathetic towards others yeah. it, it really create makes you a whole person and so mm-hmm. and so many people are just shamed for trying to help that part of your body when it is a huge part of yourself it's your it's your entire well-being mm-hmm. yeah and also it's it's actually when you get treatment it's it's the relief is really quick it's huge I think it's kind of i have i don't believe in regrets but i definitely have um some regret over the fact that i really suffered for years just thinking i can kind of handle this or whatever and it's like dude just if there's some medication you can take. I remember a friend said to me once, you know, m- you know, maybe there is a some medication you can take daily that would just make you want to be here. And you know what? There was. Mm-hmm. And one day I remember waking up just feeling like I still had all of my problems, 
but they were just in another room. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I about them if I wanted to, but they, they didn't overwhelm me. And then I just got on with the rest of my life. And I just, that's the message, you know, that I always try to convey to anyone because there's an amazing U2 lyric. Um, when Michael Hutchins died, Bono wrote this about Michael Hutchins. And he said, you know, you just got stuck in a moment that you couldn't get out of. Yeah. And they're just, yeah. They're, sure. and, and I think when, um, you know, when there's a tragedy involved, which which results in like an end of a life, it is a tragedy because life is so, so precious, you know. And I, I can laugh about it because I've had moments where I've felt a bit dramatic and the next day I've been like, wow, I'm really glad I didn't do anything about this because this chocolate cake is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. It'd be like, oh, I'm so glad because this cake is so amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's life and yeah. they're you can have tiny little moments that are worth living for yeah. as well as have you, uh, have you ever written a children's book about, cause I, I feel like you would write really great children's books that really talk about mental health and, and in a fun, creative way. I, I don't know. I just feel like you'd be you really know, good at that. Um, think that I, you know what, I was a pre- preschool teacher, so mm-hmm. I love children mm-hmm. and, yeah. um, uh, I just finished writing a musical, mm-hmm. uh, uh, which is, you know, loosely based on my life, uh, but it was, it, it's about, yeah, surviving trauma. And it's the, the protagonist is, is a young kid. Uh, yeah. And written from a child's point of view, because I do find that very easy to relate to. And, and I love talking to children. I have a, um, a goddaughter who is six and, um, I think, uh, because my own childhood was so challenging, um, it's really, really easy for me to empathize with kids, I think, yeah. um, because their emotions are so big. Mm-hmm. And that's the one thing I do remember as a preschool teacher of just um, w- watching children try to navigate these big feelings yeah, and just help helping them understand that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like sadness is huge, you know, and sometimes it, all they, all a child wants is for you to acknowledge that and just say, you must, you must be feeling really sad, huh? Yeah. And they're like, eh. you're like, you must need a hug, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's how most of us feel. Exactly. You know, that's some, how, yeah. It's the most honest emotions coming from kids. I mean, most people just want the acknowledgement that you're not doing well and they want someone to see you and say that they support you. And mm-hmm. just that can help. Would That could honestly change from life to death for a single person. Yeah. And people don't realize that. Yeah. So that's cool. So, um, just talking know. to my people. Yes, children's book. Get that on there. Right, yeah, put that on the list. I'm yeah. on the list. <laughs> hey, LA, Lance Bass here with the latest in the City of Angels. From epic shopping to nonstop pride events, discoverla.com is your gateway to everything LA. From walk up windows and rooftop bars to year round alfresco dining. Los Angeles is a culinary thrill ride sure to leave visitors hungry for more. From tacos to sushi, we truly have some of the best restaurants. After you get a bite to eat, get a taste for fame firsthand by attending a star ceremony on Hollywood Boulevard or glimpse behind the scenes at World Famous Studio Tour. Stop and see a movie at the iconic El Capitan Theater and check out the stairs outside the Dolby Theater where all the stars walk before the Oscars. Take a hike at Glamorous Griffith or stop for a boba or a draft cold brew at an outdoor cafe perfect for people watching. 
There are endless amounts of outdoor activities in L.A. with our beautiful weather. And, of course, Pride is celebrated every day in Los Angeles. Everyone is welcome to experience our sparkling nightlife, indulgent spas, and sensational shopping. Plan your weekend at discoverla.com. It's time to leave your mark in the city of angels. Lance Bass, signing off. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name is Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready. You know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. When did you realize you could pursue music as a possible career? Was there a certain teacher that you had that encouraged you? Like, what, what was that moment? Uh, it was in high school. And high school, short story was relentlessly bullied. Mm -hmm. Just relentlessly. And then all the kids that relentlessly bullied me were too dumb to continue on mm -hmm. into senior year. Mm -hmm. So they all just dropped out or they became parents real quick. Yeah. Yeah. And that story. And then all of a sudden I wasn't being bullied anymore. And I was just being cast in theater productions. And when I could sing, I was just, my whole identity just changed. And it was a choir teacher, um, uh, uh, Mrs. Sales. And she came to my show in Brisbane on this last tour. It was incredibly emotional oh, wow. because she had, uh, uh, an, well, she was experiencing an early onset memory, um, yeah. uh, situation and she and she rem uh, she remembered me and 
it was incredibly emotional because, because she saw me, yeah. you know, and she put me in a girl's choir, which at the time was just like, oh man, like I'm already being bullied. Like, well, they'll make it worse. <laughs> yeah. But she saw that potential in me. Yeah. You know? And what they did was, I'm sure they rigged it, but I, I won a, um, a scholarship to a theater camp. And I couldn't afford it. Mm -hmm. We were really, really poor. And suddenly I was like a, a 13 year old kid and I was surrounded by other probably queer kids, mm -hmm. to be honest. Mm -hmm. And that's when I kind of knew I was special. I think we may have a mutual friend in Debbie Gibson. Of course. Oh, yes. Love Debbie. Happy birthday, Debbie. She just had a birthday. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember, uh, it was um electric youth was out mm -hmm. and we did the choreography to electric youth mm -hmm. and i just remember thinking i knew i was really good at it and then we wrote a song and i just was really good at it and it wasn't me being boastful or anything i just really felt like i was like in this groove of where i was supposed to be in my life yeah. so i got to see those people less well maybe six months ago you know, in my hometown and just say, thank you. Like you changed my life. So great. So those people. I love that. Yeah. Um, now I don't know the full story here, but Daniel Jones, your partner in Savage Garden, it was, you answered an ad in a music magazine because he was looking for a lead vocalist. How old were you when this happened? And what were you expecting answering this ad? Right. Older. So, yeah. um, Again, to con to contextualize it, so I sang and then school was ending and you were expected to know what you were supposed to do at the end of school. I was uh, 16, coming out to 17 when you finish and you're supposed to go to college. And um, I auditioned because I thought you had to play an instrument to sing. I was a singer and I didn't play an instrument, so I would have gone to a conservatorium. Um, and I did really well at school, so I was all my teachers wanted me to go and study law or business or something like that. But my music teachers got me to audition to, uh, in an, in, into a, um, an acting school and they take, uh, 15 people in the state. And I had a girlfriend at the time and, uh, I got in and all that, this is in the entire state. I, I got a position and she, she didn't get in. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to give this up because we're going to do this together and we'll be together forever. She said, good. So I gave up my, oh, no, <laughs> good. She cheated on me. No. So I ended up not being in that place where I thought I was supposed to be. So yeah. I wasted years um, studying journalism. Uh, and I thought I'll write for MTV. I'll write for Rolling Stone. That's how I get into the business. I had a father who was so strict and told me I could never be a musician. I was working in a music store. I was working in a video store. I was around the stuff you buy. And uh, Daniel's ad came out. So I must have been maybe 21 at that point. And I was nervous as crap. My audition was um, the beginning of Little Little Shop of Horrors. The female part, yeah, you know. Yeah. Oh. I mean, insane. Mm -hmm. I couldn't. <laughs> and he and his, he lied, which look, that's, he's kind of like a Simon Cowell. He's very, very clever. Mm -hmm. But he just saw I was a diamond in the rough. And I think the rest of the band that he was with, like they lied. They said they had a major publishing deal. Mm -hmm. 
Um, they didn't. Mm-hmm. What had happened, the chapel had said, mm, your songs are okay, but you need a new lead singer. His brother was the lead singer. Uh-huh. He got rid of his, got me. The brother hated me uh-huh. because I got out of a job. And then we were, we were just this covers band. And I was like, I thought we were going to be famous. Where's our record deal? Where's our whatever? But then there was a year of doing pubs, clubs, gigs, and whatever. I started to become a rock star. Mm-hmm. I dyed my hair black. I yeah. pierced my hair. I just, it was like I got my mojo. And then he was about to go to um, Alice Springs, which is in the center of the country. They got a gig at a casino and they said in 1992, and they said, uh, do you want to come? And I was like, hell no, no, I'm not going. But I want to be in a band with you. And he said, okay, then we'll be a duo if you learn this keyboard. And he gave me an Ensonic keyboard, which most of our first album was written on. And he gave me um, the instruction booklet. He said, if you learn how to play this, I'll be in a band with you. I didn't learn how to play it. He came back and we wrote most of the first album together. And wow. that's how we became. That is so crazy. Now, Savage Garden was probably not the first name that y'all discuss naming yourselves. What was, this? What was it? Bliss, bliss, oh bliss, oh bliss. I mean, I've heard worse. The, the first name uh, we wanted to call ourselves uh, was because I was very, very hip in terms of like ahead of the curve of where music was going. I was the person that was listening to like um, Jam and Lewis, and like I was all about production, um, and I was obsessed with pop before it even happened so while you were making your records i hadn't even heard them yet but i knew that's where music was going Mm -hmm. because music before you before britney before any of the amazing pop that was about to come out it was grunge do you remember seattle grunge took over Mm -hmm. i was obsessed with pop i had never let it go from the 80s all the way through to sort of janet so I was just listening to that music and uh, a lot of early 80s stuff like um, new wave music, Duran Duran. So I wanted to call us Heart of Glass, which was a, a Blondie reference. It was also yeah. kind of a reference to sort of, um, you know, those bands from um, around Culture Club days and things like that. Um, and in the end, uh, Savage Garden was a reference to Anne Rice. I was reading Anne Rice novel, Matic. Mm. Uh, gay mm-hmm. so that's where the name came from i still hate the name always hated the name really it was like fifth choice um but it was the only one copyrighted and there was no website for it yet yeah. so. <laughs> <laughs> that's it it stuck i like look it worked it worked well for you guys um so it seemed like things did move quickly for you in savage garden uh like right out of the gate um did you feel I know, I know you were doing the club gigs and all that type of stuff, you know, like the first, you know, couple of years, but did you feel ultimately that it was a quick rise for you guys? Yes. But I don't know if you relate to this. I am a strong believer in, I don't know, a sense of destiny. There are a few moments in my life where I've felt it Mm -hmm. and it's a spine tingling feeling, but it used to sound arrogant back then saying it, but I knew that it would happen. Mm -hmm. I knew, I feel like I created it when I was 13. I genuinely believe that. And there've been various moments in my life where I've believed that I've conjured something up from the universe and it would happen. So I wasn't surprised at all. Um, It was meteoric. Um, You know, all of a sudden 
the record was out and then we didn't have a US deal and Rosie O'Donnell was playing it on her talk yeah. show. Yes. I, I, I remember that. Me too. She was obsessed with this song. And because Rosie played it on her show, that got radio on top of it. And y'all didn't even have your American label yet. So Deal. that must have been great <laughs> for you guys. And Clive Davis from Arista flew us over, economy. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Uh, Don Ina from Columbia, uh, basically the two of them in the same day, we had essentially an audition to see if we could sing. And it was just Daniel playing keyboard. He weren't that great. And uh, <clears throat> and it was great songwriter. The two of us together, great yeah. songwriter. Mm -hmm. It was a bit clunky on the keyboards. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm clunky on the keyboards. Uh, uh, but yeah, so that was terrifying because he was just like, oh my God, I am no Burt Bacharach, yeah. you know. But I sang for both gentlemen. Uh, Clive's was terrifying because Clive was in the room and mm -hmm. no one reacted. Well, it's like his, the mafia bosses in the room. You're like, <laughs> it's creepy. No. Mm -hmm. Slow, Slow clap. clap. <laughs> Uh, Don was different. Don was Donnie was just like he wanted the band. Arista wanted us to put some covers on the record. We refused. And Columbia just said, "You well, you can do whatever you want. We just want you." Nice. Uh, and so we had complete artistic control over that record mm -hmm. from the beginning. Mm -hmm. So we right. went into the la label in the US with complete artistic control mm -hmm. to a certain degree. Uh, what was yeah. it like uh, meeting Rosie O'Donnell for the first time, knowing that she had such a, uh, I don't know, a little start for your career in the States? Incredible. And every now and then she'll send me a little instant message and she'll say, I'm still so proud of you. And I, yeah. Oh, I get teary eyed because yeah. she, she's a gay icon and she's a pioneer and mm -hmm. she, my life, we wouldn't have a US career without Rosie. There's no way in the world. And she knows that and I know that. Yeah. She was the I mean, if you wanted yeah, if you wanted to get into pop culture, yeah, you, you had Rosie had to be behind you. I mean, she was the in the in the zeitgeist. Yeah, well, she I was also, the pop culture. I mean, I watched that show as a young kid, like mm -hmm. all the time with my mom after school. And that's how with you guys, like she also oh, took an affinity to end. She eventually did. Yeah. Like yeah. we did go on the first, you know, couple no, of years. But, but eventually and like yeah, I remember I just we remember the always on. she took you to like was it Universal or something? That's like when that? I almost killed her. Uh, yeah. I just remember <laughs> that so vividly. And yeah. that kind of like you became more popular for me at that point. Yeah, she definitely helped our popularity yeah. for sure. Because it was after that Disney special and then when Rosie kind of attaches to you it was yeah. just it was the perfect uh scenario to kismet you I might say kismet, yes. it was their gonna be their band name it yeah. was gonna be kismet instead mm -hmm. of NSYNC yeah <laughs> yeah kismet For real yeah, yeah. I love I mean, was that loser <laughs> it works we use it a lot these days so yeah, whose uh, idea was that Lou's idea it's Lou Perlman yeah yeah, yeah yeah it was his idea right listen <laughs> uh, because when we were on tour I used to watch your no strings attached DVD constantly uh, yeah. and I Oh my God, like we were just playing, like we were playing like arenas and you guys were playing like stadiums at that point. And I was just like obsessed, still, <laughs> still can watch that performance and just like, oh my God, so tight. And recently I watched, uh, the, you know, all those amazing making, making ofs of those tours oh, and yeah. the effort. And the stamina and the professionalism and whatever, like, I still bow down because that, when I, when I was a kid watching Madonna, I, the only reason I got into fitness was because Madonna jogged. And I was like, what the hell is jogging? <laughs> and, and I saw you 
having to do cardio. That's I used to run on a treadmill and sing because of you. Yeah, that's what that's what we'd have to do. And you just had to put the work in. And but at an early age, you didn't even know that was you didn't know that was hard work. That was just what it was. And I feel like the same way we always tell people because we have twins now, and they're like, "Oh, that must be just so hard." Like twins, and like, well. We don't really know the difference because we didn't have one before. So this is just all we know. So to us, it just seems this is normal. Par for the course. There, uh, there'll be two in October yeah. next month. So did you sleep much for the first uh, six months or no? Um, it was different. The first couple of months, no, because the whole time I just would – I didn't want to sleep because I felt like at any second they were going to die. So yes. you're just like constantly just watching them breathe. Yeah. Sleep deprivation is it's a real thing. insane with kids. There's so many times the first couple of months where I'm holding them and I, it felt like I'm in a dream mm-hmm. and I'm staring at them. I'm like, are you real? Like it just did. They didn't seem real. And at any moment I thought I was just going to like drop them because I was so tired. Like it just, <laughs> I just felt like I was in a dream state the first two months. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Well, I'm very jealous and that sounds in a good way. Well, you want to have kids at some point, right? And and I'm yeah. tent on doing that. So. Yeah. Well, when you're ever ready, yes. let us know because we got all the parts to do it. So we uh, do. We know everyone. We we got you. <laughs> We've done it all we at this you. point. Lance Bass here with the latest in the City of Angels. From epic shopping to nonstop pride events, discoverla.com is your gateway to everything L.A. From walk-up windows and rooftop bars to year-round alfresco dining, Los Angeles is a culinary thrill ride sure to leave visitors hungry for more. From tacos to sushi, we truly have some of the best restaurants. After you get a bite to eat, get a taste for fame firsthand by attending a star ceremony on Hollywood Boulevard or glyphs behind the scenes at World Famous Studio Tour. Stop and see a movie at the iconic El Capitan Theater and check out the stairs outside the Dolby Theater where all the stars walk before the Oscars. Take a hike at Glamorous Griffith or stop for a boba or a draft cold brew at an outdoor cafe perfect for people watching. There are endless amounts of outdoor activities in L.A. with our beautiful weather. And, of course, Pride is celebrated every day in Los Angeles. Everyone is welcome to experience our sparkling nightlife, indulgent spas, and sensational shopping. Plan your weekend at discoverla.com. It's time to leave your mark in the city of angels. Lance Bass, signing off. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name is Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, 
playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. All right, so we got to get into some of the songs here. So it, it seems like you have some of the most romantic love songs uh, ever out there. Uh, Truly, Madly, Deeply, I Knew mm-hmm. I Loved You. Now, where did you find the inspiration for these love songs? Uh, well, they're aspirational. I mean, what I think is fascinating about I Knew I Loved You before I met you was that um, I was not in love when I wrote that song. And in fact, that song we used to call the FU song because we delivered our second album to Sony and Don Ina said, yeah, it's good, but there's no truly madly deeply on there. And I remember being so offended and was like rolling up my sleeves being like, Oh, he wants a, he wants another truly madly deeply. Well, Kim. And we went into Walter Afanasiev's front, this producer's front uh, writing room. There was just a white grand piano. And we wrote that song in maybe 10 or 15 minutes in in a cynical sense, like very much let's write the most basic, simple, whatever. Mm -hmm. I prefer that song to this day to truly madly deeply, because when I, when I started writing the melody and the words came out of me, it made me want to cry. And I didn't know why, but I know today now, because it's a song about future love. Yeah. And I was not feeling that love and I do feel that love yeah. today. Sometimes you just have to wait for it. But yeah. mothers come up to me and say to me all the time, this is how I feel about my baby Aww. inside. The whole time it was out, maybe 15 years, I would always be like, mm-hmm. but I would sing the song and sort of go through the motions. But there's something sometimes I think I write songs and the subject matter or the experience hasn't even happened yet. Yeah. And that's one. Truly was different. Truly was very much, you know, I was married to a woman and uh, I, she's still one of my good friends and she's a sweetheart. I'm so grateful to her for having the, the bravery and the compassion to realize we were so young, you know, and to realize that I hadn't finished growing yet mm-hmm. and she let me go. You know, she still loved me and she let me, me go. And uh, even though I was gay, we still really cared about each other. It was a really difficult breakup because mm-hmm. it was so confusing to well, me. Well, y'all like, loved each other. It just wasn't a romantic love. Yeah. 
Exactly. And I remember um, being apart from her when I was recording the record and that song is about her. You know, it was mm. about like, I miss you so much and, and whatever. But, you know, not long after that, she was this incredible person that essentially said you have to be free and you have to be the person that you, you want to be. And thank God for her because yeah. moments when I would beg her to come back. Like I was, listen, I was like a nun. Like I wasn't like, I wish that I had all these amazing erotic stories of me, like just being out there single, but uh, yeah. you know, and also being in, in the public eye and being in a pop band, it wasn't like I could go and date or anything. Mm -hmm. And so I found it really hard. And so I would often call her and be like, can't we just like live together and just yeah. whatever. <laughs> she would just say, no, yeah, not allowed back. Wow. And I'm so, so grateful to her for that. So, now, where is she at these days? She's amazing. Oh man, she just um she just kicks ass. We, you know, we I saw her backstage um uh, in my hometown and uh oh my god, I got into so much trouble. I didn't even put her on the guest list. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> she's a scary person too. And uh she said to me, I was going to kick your ass, but um we hugged and she just said you're always going to be my person. Yeah. you know she's 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 an amazing strong woman yeah. I have some that's awesome. incredible um so a few years back savage garden unfortunately broke up um one what ultimately led to that breakup and you've said that you probably will never reunite but is that the real truth oh my god yes <laughs> i was in a band with someone who once they got success got bored with it and didn't want it anymore really oh wow Thanks for telling the rest of us. <laughs> um, and then lied about how the band broke up. Oh, no. This, what, what did he oh. say? How did he say it broke up? How did he say it broke up? Mm. This is what broke up. We're backstage in Japan, about to launch our second album. We have our second number one single in the US just charting. Uh, and he sees himself on a beautiful promo bag from the Japanese record company. And he freaks out because he doesn't want to be a product. Oh, God. Oh. So, you know, because he's an artist and he's a serious artist. And he doesn't want to be a product anymore. And mm. I walk in a management meeting where he's leaving the band a week before the album's coming out. No. And I'm going, what is going on? Oh, so God. <laughs> I have to broker some deal in the room where I say, what if maybe you just turned up and did the dates that we've booked in arenas for the next year? And he's like, maybe that could work. Yeah, finish your commitments. I did all the work for the band. I did every interview. Every, you know what it's like, Bravo magazine. Yeah. Tried as a duo on your own. Yeah. Every yeah. The guy. Yeah. Oh, he's busy. He didn't do anything. And yet me, loyal, naive, loving, I kept thinking, he'll eventually change his mind. And uh, meanwhile... He was launching his own record labels. He was recording bands. He was taking meetings. He thought that he was going to become like Ryan Tedder mm -hmm. or Simon or something like that, right? And to, we have all this on video. It's so funny. Like we were we were filming a, a, a documentary at the time. And so towards the end of the tour, it started to dawn on me that, well, he was serious about this and we were, it was not going to happen. So I said to him, begged him, and said, listen, 
if I become a solo artist, you have to tell people this is your idea because Beatles, right? Yoko Ono, yeah. I will be blamed. And also the singer, they're going to think that I just wanted to be single. Of and course. I did. And he and he promised me that he would. And uh, we had a management contract at the time. We were managed by two different parties. And um, one of the parties, we had a clause in there that um, it had activated where we could leave the management company if we wanted to. The key man was a guy called Bob Cavallo from uh, Disney used to manage Prince and Bob had left the company and I didn't want to be as a solo artist managed by this other entity. So I said to Daniel, um, can you help me write to them? We just need to put it in writing that we want to leave this, this company. And he said, yep, absolutely fine. The tour ends. We go our separate ways. We have a goodbye dinner. We have a farewell dinner. It's like, my God, it's really over. It's over. It's great. You're going to tell everyone that you left. Yes. You're going to write this, this management thing. To, yes. What's going to happen? And then one day I'm at home in San Francisco and I get a phone call from him and he says, I've changed my mind. I don't, I don't really need to leave the management contract because I'm not going to be a performer anymore. And I said, you're going to screw me. Hmm. And he said, yeah, but I have to look out for me. Oh, so we weren't talking. Yeah. <laughs> I go on to my solo record. I'm making my solo record. And do you remember what long lead press was? Oh yeah. The long lead for people who we don't really have it anymore, but long lead used to print magazines where you would record an interview and there would be an unbreakable commitment between the record company and the publisher. And this was for Rolling Stone in Australia, or it was uh or maybe one of the major newspapers where it was a three-month hold. So they heard my solo album and then I told them, yes, the band has broken up and whatever. And the next day I was about to phone him, even though we were not speaking, to say, listen, I've started my press. So in about three months' time, the story's going to break. I need you to make sure you tell people the truth. Well, the journalist called the story into a tabloid newspaper. What? So the next day, the story breaks, oh, no. band breaks up, and Daniel is on the road with one of his new bands that he signed that never ended up becoming successful. And was that a bit bitchy? I'm glad. And <laughs> yes, we love it. He's at a radio station, and a journalist says to him, well, we hear that Savage Garden is breaking up. Is this the truth? So I'll give him this one break only. He says, it's the first I've ever heard of it. Uh, oh. Comes the headline. Lead singer leaves band, mm -hmm. doesn't even tell the guy. Yeah. Uh, oh, no. Yeah, that's shady. I'm on a plane to New York. I think you were involved in this too, Lance. This Bono recording called What's Going On? Oh, yes. What's going on? Yes, I was on it. Okay. So I'm on a tarmac in LA just going, dude, what have you just said? And he said the same thing he said to me about the management thing. He said, well, you've said what you've said. Now I have to look out for myself. I'm going, oh. I look like Kramer. I'm going, yeah. <laughs> he's like, uh, you'll see. I'm like, what do you mean? I'll see. What are you going to say? And he says, whatever I have to say. Oh no. Never wanted to be famous. Who left the band suddenly arranged a press conference. And there's a picture of him sitting on the steps of our local town going, looking all mopey. Oh God. <laughs> he's gone with that story. Since time immemorial, only 
I've always just told this story and told the truth. And over time now, the truth, which is what I say, is a fact and people know what happened. Right. But for five or six years, he there were so many knives in my back. So yeah. uh-huh. the band ever going to get back together, Lance? Hell no. <laughs> Okay. Good. Now, usually I say that uh, we do put bands back together on the show, but I'm going to say on this one, I don't know if we're going to be able to help. No. That man yeah. comes up and admits what he did and publicly apologizes to me. Okay. Maybe we'll do a charity show. Okay, so yeah. there is there I, is a chance. I think he was just salty that you got all the attention because right. honestly, I didn't even realize he was in the group until... <laughs> <laughs> As a kid, I only thought of you was you, yeah. <laughs> and like and like the girl background singer. <laughs> Such a betrayal, and I think for me, like when you have to like literally grow a new limb and learn how to walk and do all that stuff. Now I do everything he used to do. I produce my own records. My last record, I wrote, produced, programmed, engineered. I know. Of, you know, I'm the record was mixed by a genius called Trevor Yasuda. That was it. The only thing I didn't do was mix my album. Yeah. Like. I'm so proud of the, the, yeah. the yeah. um to the say how would I even write a song with him? Yeah. Well, after ten years of taking a break and you coming back with homosexual, uh, which you said you wrote, produced, engine I mean, you did everything for this one. Uh did you purposely want to go into that project like that? Or did you eventually be like, no, wait, I should be doing all of this? I did it because I remember being really inspired by George Michael and I loved how hands-on George was. And I think for a long time, I was really intimidated not to be that. I was always producing records. I was always there and never really given the credit for that. Sometimes, especially on the second Savage Garden record, you know, I will never, ever criticize our songwriting chemistry. It was absolutely 50-50 and Daniel uh, deserves all of that credit. It was 50-50 and his songwriting with me, amazing. I'll never, ever say anything about that and yeah. nothing negative that but you know he really wasn't there in the studio the second record it was walter a you know i don't even know if daniel is playing on the second record you know so i was there from that second record watching learning loving then walter did my first solo record and then from then on for the last i don't know since you know last 23 years i've been a studio animal and i realized that so much of producing is is taste and intuition and just why don't we try this and mm-hmm. so i've i learned how to do a bunch of this yeah. stuff that i'm well i'm sure you learned so much doing something like that what, what do you think is the the biggest thing that you did uh learn about this side this producing side of yourself um that usually your first idea is the best one mm-hmm. that record every melody yeah. like melody king um you know uh, you know chord progressions are they're less special, I think, than say um, a sound palette. I think a sound palette is what makes a really amazing producer. You know, um, anyone can really sort of play some chords, but it, it's creating a sonic field, which um, I don't confess to be that great at. But you know, when I think of um, uh, some of the incredible mix engineers and and and, and producers that have made some of my favorite records you know they just create a world Mm -hmm. um that's um it's alchemy um that's magical it's just the thing that makes 
and recognizing when the hair is standing up on the back of your neck. Mm-hmm. Same thing with a melody. Sometimes you can just over polish a turd. <laughs> but yeah, mm-hmm. true. Uh-huh. What do you think well, of uh, with AI? You know, being the big moment right now. How bad do you think that is going to change our industry? And what can we do to make sure that art stays art? Oh, I have a controversial opinion about that. I think um, the financial aspect of it is the only thing to really be worried about. I think we need to make sure actors are getting paid. Um, There's a situation at the moment when it comes to film where they're trying not to have background actors because you just have a bunch of CGI people. You're trying to have, um, uh, they're trying to um, do a bunch of people out of their hard-earned work that I have a moral opposition to. When it comes to, um, I think there's a fear at the moment that's a little bit like um, our understandable fear of Spotify and the devaluation of music. Um, I think um, we need to make sure that the financial aspect of AI doesn't dominate if there's a way to collaborate with a computer without making the computer the highest paid songwriter in the room yeah yeah <laughs> you know i think being afraid of technology is never a great idea because technology is always going to advance it's always going to be here yeah yeah but giving uh, giving technology or a stream mm-hmm. um in value as say holding a physical product was a stupid thing to do. Mm. It was a really, really stupid thing to do it. Once the minute you told someone that a song was only worth 99 cents, mm-hmm. a song is worth, Yeah, it's a song is priceless, but we told people it was only worth 99 cents. Mm-hmm. We yeah. lost it. And yeah. we did that. That's I, didn't, I never even looked at it that way, but you're right. You're completely right. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So, one, when do you know the date the memoir is going to come out? Because I want to make sure that we all get that. Oh, that's kind. You know, I think it's slated for um, the Christmas period next year. Okay. I know I have lots of deadlines. Yeah. Uh, I said you have to really write a book. Yeah. <laughs> Who it's, knew? It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. And it ta- just like a musical. I mean, it doesn't take as long as a musical, but it's a lot more undertaking than most people would ever understand. <laughs> like, I'm great. You know, I didn't realize that there, that, you know, um, I mean, I'm writing it, you know, and a lot of people don't write their book. Yeah. Uh, and so um, uh, I have to turn in essentially a final draft um, uh, by February next year. Mm. So um, I best be getting to it. All right. Well, we're looking forward to that. And one fun fact that I love about you is you love your Star Wars. Um, Almost as, probably more than you. Yeah, well, yeah, a little bit. Well, of course, I do have the May the 4th be with you birthday, which makes me kind of like. Isn't Joey the really big? Oh, yeah. He's he's big Star Wars. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and you collect, I think, a lot of things from Star Wars, too. What what made you get into Star Wars? Really just, I think, um, the idea that there was another purpose for me somewhere else. Yeah. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And the, the lead character you don't have to be sigmund freud to work out how i could relate to this he was an orphan he um felt like and knew in his heart that his destiny was somewhere else Mm -hmm. one would believe him and he would look up to the stars and he would imagine that there was a greater purpose for him and 
uh, it was his own self-belief that propelled him toward eventually becoming what his destiny was, which was the essentially the, the last Jedi, mm-hmm. you know, like this incredible, mystical, powerful being. But he started off as just a farm boy in a stupid hat. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, Kind of what I was too. Yeah. You're so poetic. I can I can see why you are a songwriter. Um, all right, let's give a frosted tip here before I let you go. You took a decade long hiatus from the, your career. Uh, for someone who wants to get back into a passion they once had, what tips do you have for them? Oh, um, slowly remove all the things from your life that make you happy. Hit rock bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you will realize that you can do a list actually uh, on one side and just look back and think what used to make me happy and start reintroducing those things. And I think for me, um, I purposely moved away from music and I was doing everything from, I went through the Groundlings program here in LA studying improv comedy. I was even doing stand up. Why? I don't know. Uh, yeah. Which is, I think is the hardest job in entertainment, by the way. Oh yeah. So hard. <laughs> sort of did everything I could to sort of deny this part of me that was so essential. Um, but now I look back and I'm so grateful if I look at the music videos that I made during this project, you know, I directed a lot of them. I acted in them. I ended up making friends who had no idea who I was. So all of my friendships and relationships became so much more grounded and real. Um, so I mean, honestly, I just think that cliched phrase, you know, a change is as good as a a holiday. For me, I wasn't happy making music and I I had to leave it Mm -hmm. to appreciate what I had. I just know that one day something in my life um, needed expressing so badly that I found myself here in my studio and I wrote a song called Let's Try Being In Love. And it was, it was so passionate and so colorful and I knew everything. I knew everything, every color, every, I knew, I started collecting clothing. I knew exactly what, what everything was going to be. So, um, I think you have to love it more than the paycheck and you have to love it more than the process and the pain and the calluses and all that sort of stuff. And, and I didn't, Mm -hmm. and I do now. So, yeah. Sometimes you have to let it go. And if it comes back to you, what do they say? When you mm-hmm. love someone, let them let go. Them go. And if they and come if they back, come back yeah. it's meant to be. All right. Yeah. All right. Let's get to a couple of fan questions. Um, Sharnsby Iskierka would like to know, uh, is there a Savage Garden song you wish you could re-record? Oh, great question. Um, I never would because I understand the, uh, the artist's desire to do that because my voice just wasn't. Mm-hmm. as good back then mm-hmm. as it is today i'm just older and i have more control over it now and yeah. i think it's just a, a better instrument on on a good day mm-hmm. on a bad day it sounds like a foghorn and my dog hates it <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah some of the um there's a mistake in the song uh to the moon and back where i say um all her friends they've been trialed for treason and the phrase is tried. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> That's great. I love how things like that 
makes make a cut of of, of it. You know, it's like well, wait, it's like no one else saw this. Not one person, really. <laughs> no one person noticed it. I love it. But see, I love the things like that. I think that's great. Um, I'm Bippo. Would like to know what was it like being at the Olympics? Oh yeah. Oh, it was so exciting because that's the first time I met Kylie Minogue. Oh. Just before Kylie's one of several like reinventions, but yeah. that was right before Can't Get You Out of My Head. Yeah. Slightly accessible then. Yeah. So she was this massive star, mm-hmm. but slightly more accessible where I got her phone number. Yeah. So that really, really cool. Oh, yeah. All the Lovers is like my ultimate song yeah. for her. Mm, so good. And that, that video. That was incredible. That new song. Oh, oh Padam. My- oh. oh, Padam was like oh, yeah. the biggest pride moment ever. Like it was. Yeah. I was a little riff on Padam. Oh, yeah. Dad- <laughs> it was a good dad. Dad- it was a good dad joke. Thanks. We love our dad. We appreciate it actually here <laughs> at the show. I love it. All right. Well, uh, Darren, it was so great to catch up with you. I hope, so great. I hope it doesn't take us another quarter of a century to see each other again. Well, we live 20 minutes away. Know, so hopefully. Like right next to you. <laughs> I know. And let's do the LA thing and just say, let's get lunch. Yeah, let's, let's get, get lunch. lunch. I would love that. No, seriously, let's get together because I would love to even catch up with you even more um, and talk about things we can't talk about on the radio. Mm. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Juicy. Juicy scoop. Oh, no, that's Heather McDonald. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Both. Um, oh. Thanks. It's so fun. Oh, definitely. So fun. Is there anything you would like to tell your fans before we let you go? Oh, my gosh. I just thanks for remembering me. I always say that. Just thanks for remembering me. I just think you know how do you remember you're unforgettable are you kidding me i mean especially for our generation you were the voice of our generation for so long so yeah you're 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 integrated with us yeah yeah very great awesome let me peek inside your home it's been really oh i know well yeah well if you look anywhere else there's gonna be baby stuff just everywhere everywhere it's a disaster it's a disaster (laughs) it's a fun disaster all right all right buddy well thank you so much for being on the show and uh i hope you have a great rest of the day you guys too. All right, buddy. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Hey, LA, Lance Bass here with the latest in the City of Angels. From epic shopping to nonstop pride events, discoverla.com is your gateway to everything LA. From walk-up windows and rooftop bars to year-round alfresco dining, Los Angeles is a culinary thrill ride sure to leave visitors hungry for more. From tacos to sushi, we truly have some of the best restaurants. After you get a bite to eat, get a taste for fame firsthand by attending a star ceremony on Hollywood Boulevard or glyphs behind the scenes at world-famous studio tour. Stop and see a movie at the iconic El Capitan Theater and check out the stairs outside the Dolby Theater where all the stars walk before the Oscars. Take a hike at Glamorous Griffith or stop for a boba or a draft cold brew at an outdoor cafe perfect for people watching. There are endless amounts of outdoor activities in L.A. with our beautiful weather. And, of course, Pride is celebrated every day in Los Angeles. Everyone is welcome to experience our sparkling nightlife, indulgent spas, and sensational shopping. Plan your weekend at discoverla.com. It's time to leave your mark in the City of Angels. Lance Bass, signing off. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper 
into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Mr. Darren Hayes. Shall, shall we say it again? I mean, the nicest. Just the <laughs> nicest. But what, what Australian person do you know that is not the nicest? I mean, it's I'll, kind I'll of true. A, name one. I, I, I can't. I'm sure there's a lot of Australians out there being like, oh, Susie Smith. Uh, oh, uh, Susie oh, Su- <laughs> oh, oh, Smith. God, you, okay. You, you proved uh, it. Jamae. Oh, Jamae. She's a title bitch. Uh, for y'all that don't know Jamae, you have to catch up on this show. It's uh, Well, it's been a few years now. It's been a few years. Uh, but it's uh, it started out, what was the show? Summer High Tie with High. Chris Lilly, who plays all these different characters. Oh, it's, it's, could be, it's a controversial show. You, it, you know. it is. It's controversial, but it's it's supposed to be controversial. It's, it's supposed to be a controversial It's supposed to be ignorantly show. controversial. Yes. Um, and I, I just and Jamae is just such a crazy character. She's a gay icon. She is a gay icon. For sure. So he plays a, a like a 16-year-old, very, you know. Obnoxious, ob- rich, private school girl. Yeah. I'm Jamae, private school girl. <laughs> J-A, postrophe, M-I-A, weird, so I know. But you'll Did Jamae have it. her own movie yet? She had her own show. Okay, because they, they spin off these to d- the characters. Yeah, on they shows. had Jamae for a few couple seasons. Okay, yeah. And there was another character they did too, right? Yeah, they had Mr. G. Oh, Mr. They G. had the yeah, boy. Yeah, uh, yeah. The boy. I forget his name. That's There's right. a bunch. And they had a whole new season where he did one called like Crazies or something. Which... Well, we didn't ask him what he's binging right now, so uh, just go watch that show. <laughs> um, all right, guys. Well, that is all the show I have for you. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening, uh, Turkey, as always. Gobble, gobble. Gobble, gobble. Yeah. Gobble, gobble. That's all I got to say. All right. Be good to each other out there. Don't drink and drive. Take care of those animals. And remember, stay stay frosted. frosted. 
Hey, thanks for listening. Follow us on Instagram at Frosted Tips with Lance. And Michael Terzenart. And at Lance Bass for all your pop culture needs. And make sure to write us a review and leave us five stars. Six if you can. See you next time. Hey, LA. Lance Bass here with the latest in the City of Angels. Immerse yourself in our vibrant fashion scene where exclusive streetwear meets high-end boutiques. Stroll through styles defining our bold, wildly creative city, like the unique finds at Melrose Trading Post, a real L.A. gem. Explore star-studded experiences on Hollywood Boulevard, behind-the-scenes studio tours, and moments of awe under our legendary blue sky. Picture this. The iconic Griffith Observatory, inspiring directors worldwide. Plan your weekend at discoverla.com. It's the time to leave your mark in the city of angels. Lance Bass is zatting off. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elia Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.